It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manuel Webb. And we have a very special podcast this, this week because three different countries, three different continents, three different time zones. That's right. We are all over the world broadcasting to you. Um, Tim from Vancouver, Canada. You are the furthest west or maybe east or wherever you are in the world. How's it going, Tim? <laughs> It's going. It's a little bit early. It's 6.44 a.m. in the morning, but I'm very, very in a good mood because uh, Spartak played beautifully and completely destroyed Zenit uh, two days ago. I'm in, I'm very excited to talk about this. This is going to be great. Oh, I forgot to put that on the list of topics. I'm just kidding. Oh. Of course, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> 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 Enjoy the to talk about this. this Andrew, who's east of me, west of of Tim, uh, you can you can find out the geography and I look it up all on the map. He's in Tumen, Siberia. How's it going? It's pretty cold in Munich, yeah. Munich here, but I imagine it's even colder where you are. Yeah, yeah, just a bit. You two pampered souls are not used to what cold really means, and that's what I have every day. But yeah, <laughs> not bad, not bad. Um, I have my own reasons to be particularly happy this week, so I think we're going to have a very positive pod this week. Yes, I think okay. we do. Um, <laughs> and I guess we have a lot to catch up on because we've been a little bit of haters for two weeks. We had, of course, the international break that uh, where we basically didn't really have that much to talk about. Then we had last week where I was on the road, Champions League football. And um, so we weren't able to find a good time with all the time zones. But we're back. We're back for this week. It's all good. Um, but I want to, before we start talking about Champions League, we have some homework to do with the Russian football Premier League and boys, um, it's winter in Siberia. It's very, very cold. Andrew, you know this better than anyone. Uh, Lokomotiv oh, yes. had a game in a freezer in Habarovsk. Um, I read different reports minus 12, minus 11, minus 17. Uh, all those three temperatures don't sound like a lot of fun, but they did get the job done and amazingly. That result means that they cannot be pushed off the top of the table in the remaining last two games before the winter break, which means for the first time in 12 years, Lokomotiv will go into the winter break on first place. But we do need to talk about the winter weather in Khabarovsk and all the issues with it. 
Yeah, it was actually a very big topic before the game because um, Lokomotiv wanted to move game. Uh, they wanted to, originally when they issued, when the calendar was announced, they wanted to switch uh, the fixtures uh, away and home. Uh, but uh, that didn't happen. And uh, Khabarovsk, they obviously said, listen, like we came to play in the Premier League to show our fans, uh, cl- big clubs as Lokomotiv. We don't want to uh, this game to be moved to Mohachkala because uh, from what I understand, Mohachkala is their backup. Uh, but they say no. Like it, it, we have uh, the plastic pitch, we have the the warm uh, field. Uh, so if the referee says the game is a go ahead, let's play. And Lokomotiv tried to move the game, and they were not really sure why. Like um, why can't you just switch the the away and, and home? Because obviously you know playing in Moscow right now is a little bit more convenient. But the game uh, went ahead, and uh, like I said, Lokomotiv got, got the job done. This is what they've been doing the whole season, and phew, good for them. Yeah, it is, it is really good for them. I mean, we, no one, I think, expected them to be where they are right now. And they have been undefeated in the Russian Football Premier League for now six games. Um, four, sorry, five games. I accidentally counted the Europa League game in there as well. But either way, it's, it's a very good result for them. And uh, they're sitting firmly on first place. Now, um, ahead of Senit, CSKA, and your side, Spartak, Tim. Oh. Um, Andrew, the, the question really is, you know, it is, there was a lot of debate about the weather, the moving the, the, the game, and etc. And I want to talk about that almost a little bit separately. But Yuri Semin's side, they seem to be almost mechanical at the moment. Because this is, this is very difficult. Uh, yes, it's also cold in Moscow. It's, ev- it's cold everywhere in Europe right now. That's, this is a cold continent. But minus 17 degrees is a step up from the temperatures that even that you experience in Moscow at this time of the year. Yet they go there and they got the job done. And you have to, you have to put the minus temperatures on top of everything else that you face when you travel to Khabarovsk. There's the, what is a nine hour flight, right? There's the time difference. There's all these issues that come with it. And they, that would have been, you know, a decent time to maybe stumble. Yes, Kharabovsk are last in the standings, but it's still a difficult trip. It's it really does say a lot about uh, this current locomotive side, doesn't it? That they are able to just get the job done week in and week out. Well, it is absolutely. Um, I I keep waiting for them to to fall back to where I expect them to be because if you look on paper at their team lineup, they are not the strongest side in the league. They're not the strongest squad in the league. They're missing their captain in defence, Vedran Chaluka, all year. Um, they were missing Ari up front, who I really thought was going to be the difference between them making Europe or not. And they just keep going. Um, and you say about being, they're a well-oiled machine. They're not just a well-oiled machine, but they're also a flexible machine. You've got to look at the way that um, uh, Dmitry Baranov, for example, has played a lot at centre-back. He's traditionally a centre-midfielder. Um, you've had uh, Jefferson Farfan, who played well, you will know, of course, Manu, with a, being a close follower of the Bundesliga at Schalke, he was mostly a winger, as far as I understand. And he's played at wing back, he's played up front, he's played out wide, he's been flexible. And this is at 33 years of age, he's got nothing left to prove. Mm. And yet he's shown that willingness. And for me, it comes down to, at this point, um, Yuri Semen. And not just his tactical knowledge, but his 
connection with the players, to get them pulling in that direction for him, to get a player like Jefferson Farfan, who's had his motivation questioned in the past, perhaps, you know, at his age as well, all the traveling he's done. I mean, that was a, it was what, something like 30,000 kilometers in the last 10 days he's traveled you know, to, to Wellington, to Lima, to Moscow, to Khabarovsk, back to Moscow. And yet he's still putting in these performances, something like six goals and four assists in the last seven games. It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, but I tell you what, that is credit to a lot of people. But first and foremost, I think it's credit to Yuri Semin. I think he's done an absolute brilliant job so far this season. Yeah, I wait for them to collapse. And I mean, because there's all these internal issues, we've we talked about the... The Gerko situation, of course, is, uh, two weeks ago, and um, the the fact that there's always a bit of friction at locomotive, but it seems to do them, you know, the world of wonder in a way, and I, it's it's just remarkable how Semin gets the most of the squad, and Jefferson Fafan is is a really good example, but it's of course the two Miranchuk brothers as well that have been um, a revelation really in this league this year, and um, I mean we knew that Axelaxi was very talented, we didn't know. We didn't think Anton was as well. So they basically got those two players. And uh, of course, there's all this talk now that Anton and uh, Alexei could be on their way to Western Europe sooner rather than later, um, maybe as early as the end of the season. Um, we recently had an article out on footballgrad.com labeling the 11 players to look out for during the World Cup next year. And he was on that list. And, um, you know, this, it seems very likely that he will be heading to Western Europe. But for now, he's getting the, he's really helping his side and getting the job done for Locomotive. So that's another very good story. But yeah, Fafan, you mentioned it. Um, there was a map, I think Championat tweeted it out with the, the world map that Jefferson Fafan had to travel and uh, the distances are just insane. Mm -hmm. And I mean, um, you know, that, that adds really to all the issues that you see with Russian football, um, is of course the, the distances traveled. Um, because we had basically the, the opposite spectrums on, on that, on that, on that match, right? With Khabarovsk being dead last. And Khabarovsk now have two away games because A, of the winter and B, because of, you know, the way the, the distances traveled. Now, Tim, Given all these obstacles, given all these issues that you have with places like Khabarovsk, um, do you think that, and I feel like we're like almost like a broken record in this, the winter calendar, um, should Russia maybe look at it and say, well, we have to maybe not necessarily move back to the Soviet calendar, but change the way uh, we structure our games? Um, yeah, I know. Like, I know your opinion about the uh, the Soviet calendar versus the current calendar. I'm a big believer that we still should stick mm -hmm. to the current calendar uh, because uh, mainly because because I remember when Spartak used to play in Champions League in the 90s and Romans of years, uh, the league would end somewhere in mid November, and they had like three. Uh, or like four weeks of no football until they play the last game in Champions League. Right now it's all, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's all uh, working together. So I like this calendar personally better, but I completely agree that uh, it cannot be all automatic. Uh, it mm. has to be fixed after it's all drawn. It has to be fixed uh, manually to avoid those late games in Tomsk when we had Tom Tomsk in the, in, in the league, and maybe in Khabarovsk, maybe in Perm, uh, because we have a lot of warm cities in the country, like um, uh, you can play in Mahachkala, obviously Krasnodar, 
Rostov, uh, Moscow and St. Petersburg, people who has been who has visited a new uh, Zenit Stadium in the winter and they said it's unbelievable. The, the roof does does the difference. So you can, um, you know, with your, you know, just changed sometimes some games to make the football and the whole league is watchable mm-hmm. instead of having, having those horrible games uh, on a white uh, pitch covered with snow. Um, uh, I also heard that um, there was a discussion that on Match TV and uh, according to Georgi Chodantsov, who is one of the uh, biggest presenters on, on, on the channel, he said that uh, next uh, year, uh, RFPL, like the, the league will be using a different program which will allow them to have this randomized calendar but at the same time um, change those you know make those changes uh, with with like you know with with clean mind not just a computer Mm -hmm. so I'm not sure why this was not implemented in in the previous years what's what's great about this new program you know but um, that's 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 what he said I'm not sure how truthful is that but he said that like they will be looking at at this different approach this year. Not sure why they will, they will have to wait for so long, but uh, looks like they're making some changes. And I believe that's the way. Staying in that type of a tournament, like we have it right now, uh, linked with the European calendar, but definitely, definitely making changes uh, knowing the climate in Russia. Yeah, you know what? I think I actually agree with you to a certain extent because... I believe a championship should be decided when the weather is nice, not when it's cold and snowy out, which is, of exactly. course, the big issue that you have in North America with MLS, right? That you, uh, It's great. The majority of your games are being played in a nice weather, but then you had the last year, you had the, the final in Toronto in, well, early December, and it's freezing cold. So you don't really want that either, right? Because basically uh-huh. the alternative would be to play the championship deciding games now, right? <clears throat> so the, the marquee games. And there's an, an interesting point that you make about the scheduling. And I think the scheduling is really something that they need to look at. Is, um, and they did this for Habarovsk to a certain extent, right? Habarovsk are now on the road for two games. And this is, they mainly did this for travel. But uh-huh. if you can do it for travel, and Russia is a big country, that's just the reality of it. They're not a typical European country. They're not going to be able to schedule games the same way that they do in Europe. You know, I, I've been traveling through Germany the last 10 days or so, and you can catch a game um, in quick succession. It's really easy, right? Because the, the, the distances are small. Now, the mm-hmm. longest you take is on a train from Hamburg to Munich. Even then, the high-speed train will get you there in five hours, right? So the, you don't have those travel issues. So you can have that really well-structured calendar. And most European countries are like that. Russia isn't. Russia almost has to look at North America. And, and in North America, we, we complain uh, and moan about the MLS schedule quite often. But they, of course, a lot of it comes down to travel and distances and russia will have to in my opinion maybe do the same now i'm with you i think sticking to the the current format is probably smarter and i think a lot of the new stadiums will will solve that problem right because if you have stadiums that are modern and um just warmer in climate and um, because you can you can you can close the roof or you can just ensure that the uh the seats are heated then you don't have that issue with december games so I don't know. I, I'm 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 all for sticking to the the current schedule, but um, maybe changing it to the the North American style almost. Um, curious to th- hear what you think, Andrew. Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. 
Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, well, I completely disagree with you guys. <laughs> so, um, I don't. I don't want to sound quite so um, absolute about it, but I, I do believe in in reverting back to the Soviet calendar because, like you pointed out, man, who's stating the obvious, it's a completely different type of country, size of country, geography of country to every other European country. So to try and force it into the same schedule, there are so many obvious things that I think just. Don't fit in. I do actually understand exactly what you mean about the you know, the championship deciding game. Those last three or four weeks that can be obviously critical to deciding the fate of it. Being towards the winter end of things is not so enjoyable. But personally, it's a trade-off I'd be willing to make um, for a couple of reasons. One, during the summer months, the, the attendances in the RFPL, as we've discussed so many times, are so poor. I think this is one main way to to boost them because realistically this year yes okay locomotive getting a six point gap as it stands at the moment that's um relatively unusual this season so this season is more competitive but usually by the third to last game you pretty much know who's going to be champion anyway um such as the dominance of just a few teams such as Zeni, spartak maybe Tsuka. um and anyway when you have the soviet calendar it doesn't finish in December. It will finish slightly earlier than that because during the summer, you can not only can you run directly all the way through, saving a bit of time, but also you could you could end up having a few two or three midweek rounds of games during the summer months. You know, when the kids are on holiday from school, get the attendances up that way, and you can end up finishing early November. It's it's perfectly feasible, and early November is not too bad. I mean, what will you do with Champions League? Like, you know, those yeah. Europa League teams. And what, well, do you, what do you do with the four-month break? What do you do then? That's it, like the other issue, I, right? Well, the four-month break, that's the thing. The four-month break always is a four-month break for, for obvious reasons, for geography. And what I would do, no, actually, seriously, to answer your question, it is, it is you are right. We need to fill it with something. I would, I would seriously, seriously look into, um, you know, organizing a, not fully competitive, but you know, regulated by RFPL, um, you know, summer training camp where all, like the, the Feniel Cup is a good example. It's what the second tier clubs do. They go to either Sochi or Turkey, um, a warm weather centre, and all the teams play each other. And it's not taken too seriously. So it's not like full-blooded challenges, injuries are happening. It's none of that. It's a great chance to get players on trial. Um, it's a good, you know, it's just a good, Run, well, run out, I, I, you know, I don't think you'll uh, have a lot of success asking people to play football uh, in a friendly way after the whole yeah. year of football. 
they they they're so exhausted. I know how how they're eager to leave, and sometimes well, they leave on holiday no, the, the minute after the game finishes in December. No, I mean Tim. In that case, just don't don't do it at all. Then I mean I I don't I don't mind either way. Um, but personally, the, the way I look at it is the the one of the reasons that annoys me the most is how it would supposedly benefit Russian clubs in Europe. It's just a, a load of nonsense in my view, because it's um, the performance we've seen from Russian clubs has, if anything, probably got worse since this change of calendar. And there is no reason why in the 21st century intelligent people cannot plan to recover their bodies, prepare them well, keep them, keep their fitness up, keep the aerobics up, keep their, um, you know, keep, you know, have some friendlies against other, other Russian clubs. It will all benefit each other. Nothing excessive, but enough just to keep them ticking over. Um, you, Manu, look, here's something as, as a German, as a fan of, of, um, Bundesliga football, Bundesliga football has a winter break, right? Yeah. I think, a, but it's only two or three weeks. They play through the winter here. Well, look at English clubs. English clubs go the opposite way. And what happens? Surprise, surprise. You know, around that sort of time of year, English teams are tired. There are injuries. Russian clubs wouldn't have that problem with the Soviet calendar. I, As far as I can say, I, I say it's win-win. I really, really am a strong... I am strongly disagree, and i tell you why. Um, having covered MLS now for quite some time, they are now accepting some of the international breaks. And for that reason, um, the international breaks... Russia will never get around breaking for the World Cup, breaking for the European Championships. Now we're getting the uh, international tournaments such as the League of Nations and all of that kind of stuff, which means a lot of the summer month weeks are blocked off for national teams, which will mean we'll always be at this time of the year when the league finishes off. There's just simply no way around it. So you might as well stick on the European calendar and hope that the um, new stadiums will will solve the problem the thing the thing is the, the real big thing is that in the summer month you have these international teams playing right but the other thing that and this is this is something i notice in mls mls thinks that in the summer months people are more likely to go to football games the the, the reality is quite different that um we see this in vancouver right tim is that a lot of people are gone during the summer they're gone they go on holidays and in russia you have the you have the culture of the duchess just like you have in canada the culture of the going to the the country house right and that means people are simply not there on the weekends to watch football and their families would not allow it so you basically you only have really that window which is the early summer weeks you know the that last little bit in august and the first little bit in september where it's still warm where kids um, are getting ready for school where families all of a sudden are back in the cities. But, I mean, you, you see that even in most European cities. When you go to downtown Munich, we always joke, August is the only time you get a parking spot in downtown Munich because everyone is gone. You know, everyone leaves the big cities. And I think that is actually something that you have to put into the calculation. People have the most time for football in the fall and in the spring. That is that is a reality. And I think um, the, the weather is a huge issue. Uh, in, in Russian football, but moving it back to the the Soviet calendar will basically just mean you have the same problem, only that the the league plays on a different schedule. But in reality, the games are going to be played on the same dates. You're still going to play from March to December with all the breaks that you have, right? Uh, you still need to have a mid-season break as well because that's how it is. So that still gets you to around December fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. 
uh, which is where we are right now and where we are usually uh, if there is no World Cup usually the the next weekend would be the last weekend right so I'm not sure I think I think it basically would just mean that you you go back to a calendar that didn't work in the past uh, mostly for nostalgic reasons but you're still going to carry a lot of the same problems well, I mean, I, I do take your point about the international breaks. I, to be fair, I hadn't factored that in as well, and that actually does have a big bearing. Um, but I, I still maintain there's enough benefit to be had from it. Yes, during those, um, you know, the, the even-numbered years then, shall we say, Euros and the World Cup years, you'll need, there will need to be some regular adjustment there, and that actually makes quite a significant difference, to be fair. I, I don't know. I, I just, um, I, I'm so frustrated at having to... <laughs> Type outdoors on the 10th of 11th of December, Arsenal Tula will be in your Kattenberg. And I know I'm going to be absolutely frozen solid. They should be thinking of the reporters in all of this. Uh, it's too cold. <laughs> oh, I do feel that I picked up a really bad cold the last couple of days from sitting at uh, sitting in Köln and in Hannover. And uh, and it's not even that cold yet. Next week is, is going to be brutally cold in Germany. We're expecting minus five degrees in snowfall. So I'm not looking forward to those games. Oh, will you be quiet, Bruce? And they have, they minus have... five and snowfall. Honestly, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> yeah, we uh, saw your pictures driving the two from to Ekaterinburg, Andrew. Yeah. That was phenomenal. But don't they have yeah, an indoor yeah. arena in Ekaterinburg? I heard that the well, game will be moved to that. It's, it's actually semi-seriously. That is, I spoke to them. They said it's only a seventy percent chance they'll actually play indoors. But luckily, it only depends on the two clubs. It's not the RFPL who will decide. They can both agree to play indoors yeah. if it's cold enough. So. Hopefully I'll be indoors, but uh, <laughs> minus five is brutally cold. You pampered people, honestly. <laughs> well, you, there's always a chance that you could cover, the, you know, a different league. Maybe not from humans, <laughs> but uh, you know, there's always hope. But I do want to go back to some coverage of league games because I did, I did just write an article on actually the Harborov situation and the the drop of attendance and the attendance in Harborov from. August to October was 9,600, and in the last few games it was around 4,000. So the cold does play a major factor. I concede you that much. But a game that did had not any attendance problems, despite yeah. the cold weather in Moscow, this yeah. was Spartak against Zenit. And uh, this is, of course, it, it is pretty much the biggest game right now uh, in Russian football. Of course, it was a really big game in the past before, but um, Spartak didn't do so well the last few years, so it kind of fell on the wayside. You know, it was maybe surpassed by CSKA against Zenit, but oh boy, um, that's definitely not the case anymore. And uh, Tim, I feel like I have to go to you with this one. Oh, I'm happy to talk about this stuff. Yes, uh, I'm sure you are, because I have to kind of recap this. 5-1 was the result on, in the first match between those two sides. You sort of made up for that in front of 41,141 visitors at the Orkiti Arena that braced the cold. You beat Zenit's 3-1. And um, yeah, talk us through it. Uh, in my opinion, that was the best game of the season in terms of the quality of football. I haven't watched every single game of the league, but I pretty much seen the highlights of, of I would say, of majority of those games. And um, to me, that was the best game in terms of just like the pure, the uh, the emotional aspect, uh, the way the game looked. Uh, the uh, I, there was an amazing moment in the second half. I think it was four attacks. The 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 teams exchanged two very very dangerous attacks, and it was four in total. 
in a Rome somewhere like in, in, in two, maybe three minutes. It was just unbelievable attacking football because they, need to, they, they needed to come back and Spartak caught them on contra-attack. It, um, it was just a great game to watch and obviously um, maybe I'm a little bit biased because of the result, but I just really, really enjoyed um, this match. Spartak played fantastic. Uh, the last few games um, we haven't discussed on the pod the game against Krasnodar, which in my opinion probably was maybe the best game of the season for Spartak. I don't know. I, to me, that was like the amazing game. And it was just a pleasure to watch the team in such a good form that that really that long um, um, national teams break really helped the team. Mm-hmm. Remember how in the beginning of the season we had so many injuries and then slowly, slowly the team was recovering. After that, uh, after that national team break, um, Zobnin joined the squad and he played uh, twice in the league and he was, he was really, you know, the game changer you can see his level he he really he really adds up he played as a right defender right back he's that's his not natural position but he was still uh, you know he still adds so much to the game he's he's such an intellectual player and um you know we just got another strong player into the squad and now the squad is really in good form uh off top of my head we're just missing you know janotti gif Timofeyev, uh, those are players, not the starters. So we have pretty much the full squad. And finally, when we got all the players back, um, Spartak plays the, the same style of football we played last season and the, the season which got us the, the, the trophy. Obviously, there was a lot of points missed in the beginning of the season, but uh, just this game was, like I said, it was unbelievable. Um, I liked everything about Spartak performance, the fight, the passion, um, the goals were beautiful. Um, Zenit, there were some com- conversations about that Zenit, uh, that Mancini made a mistake. He subbed Kranevitar in the first 30 minutes. Um, I know that some players treat uh, treat this, uh, you know, early substitute in the first half as a disgrace. Um, but he had to change something because Spartak in the first 30 minutes was all over them. He... Um, he put on Rigoni, who to me was probably one of the best players on the Zenit side. He really made the change. Kuzaev moved in the center instead of Kranjeviter, uh, and that really helped them. They came back with a goal, and the um, second half, obviously, um, they had to come back, so they had slightly more, I would say, possession, uh, or maybe, you know, maybe visual possession, but Spartak was so dangerous on counterattacks, and I love how the game finished with the goal. That was so good. I love those moments mm-hmm. when when the game finishes, finishes the goal, the referee didn't feel the need to start the game all over. He just cancelled the game and the celebration began. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's definitely, what was it, 7 plus Pantelic scores? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that, that is definitely the moments that you love about football. And um, Tim, you point something out that is quite important. Uh, since the Sevilla game uh, that Spartak lost, uh, Spartak has won 3-1 against Ufa. 4-1 against uh, Krasnodar and now 3-1 against Zenit. Um, Andrew made a question to you. Big turnaround really for Spartak, for the Miyazo. Um, these results speak for themselves. And, you know, you look at it, they scored 10 goals in three games, conceded three times. And this is against sides that are very decent sides. And we're basically seeing the same kind of Spartak that we saw towards the end of last season, right? When they when they secured the title. And when you look at the Spartak, Spartak standing right now, they're fourth on the table. They're only one point behind C- CSKA. 
and only two points behind Sandy. And that's a massive turnaround for them. What do you think really was the big thing that got the Spartak season kicked off? Is it Sopnin returning? No, uh, I think I think Spartak started the season poor, and it was definitely the championship hangover plus the injuries. So that what's ruined the um, the beginning of the season. And after the uh, players started coming back slowly from those injuries, and uh, Carrera had two national team breaks where he probably uh, I think he had uh, he did a lot of uh, work. I think those those factors really changed um, the the season. Uh, they turned around the season. I think it's all it's all the Spartak's fault uh, that they are right now in the fourth place. Um, if they would have played as they played the last few games, they definitely would have been on the top. But it's their own fault that they um, really, like and Carrera spoke about it openly, that they were not focused enough, they were not um, passionate enough to play the same style of game. They thought, okay, we won the league, now it's going to be easy. No, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Plus, obviously, the, uh, the injuries. I, I remember at one point of, of time we had 11 injuries, and that didn't help. But um, the way I, sp- like I spoke to my dad, we both watch every single game, and we discuss Spartak on a daily basis. Um, we both agree that it looks like uh, Spartak this season got two new coaches from Italy, Carrera, Carrera hired two new coaches. One is the fitness coach and the other person is, um, I don't know how you, nutrition coach. Mm. We'll talk about nutrition. That's another topic which we'll <laughs> cover uh, very soon. Yeah. But this, <laughs> speaking of food and uh, the fitness, um, those were the questions and some press um, um uh, some journalists were blaming this new fitness coach for lots of uh, muscle injuries which Spartak had in the first uh, se- um, half of the season. But the way me and my dad, we, we like we looked at it, it looks like the whole idea, the whole plan of uh, the, the training plan was to get the team in the top physical condition right now. And if you watch how they play right now, they're 100% ready in terms of just physical, pure condition. Like, we can play 90 minutes and 90 minutes and more, and you can see uh, the last goal to Zenit is a perfect example when uh, Promis, Zaluis, and Pasharic just pretty much sprinted on 97th minutes. And, of course, like, Zenit had all the zones open because they're trying to score, but you can see um, that they had enough uh, enough physical condition to, to make those runs, to make those sprints. So, to gathering everything I said, just to summarize everything, I think it was all the team's fault, uh, Spartak fault, and uh, the manager fault that we didn't start the season as strong how many games we lost the points uh, tosno uh, like there's there, i think it was four games which we uh lost uh, leading the game in the first half of the season and then two uh two national team breaks uh, which helped the team to pretty much to Carrera to work with the team and helped uh, a lot of um players to come back from injuries and the, that idea of that the physical uh physical condition of the team should be right now on the top when they play in the key when we when we play in a lot of teams from the top half of the table playing a lot of key games there's a derby against Ska coming up plus the Champions League's games mm-hmm. I think that's what kind of summarizes the, the the situation right now so I don't think it's it's specifically one specific person who came back it is just the whole the way the season just worked out for, for the team and that the Carrera worked the the, the team in those two uh, national team breaks Andrew where will it all end for Spartak it it looks like they're really resurgent right now. Where will it all end? Of course, they have a very oh. big, very big game coming up, right? Um, mm. Big match on the weekend, and then of course the very big game in the Champions League against Liverpool. 
uh, on current form, they don't really have to worry about either one of those games. Well, I have to be honest, they, they're the, the most ominous looking side. Um, I would imagine they will be, they'll be challenging uh, Locomotive. Certainly, you've got more confidence them doing that than Zanita at the moment. I think, Tim, the point you made about the physical preparation, I think, is, is absolutely spot on. Because if there was all that talk, wasn't there? There were four cruciate ligament injuries uh, at the same time at one point. Um, and there was all that criticism of them. But to, to get to the optimum physical state, you've got to push the players hard. And it was a gamble. Certainly it was a gamble. And it looked like it wasn't paying off. But the one thing, my overall impression of Sparta over the whole season, the only time I can genuinely say they've completely lost control of the entire game was against Zanip, that 5-1 result back in August, yeah. was it? You know, the, the defeats to Tesco, that was a very close game. Okay, they lost out on the day. The the locomotive game, that crazy game. I mean, yeah. don't forget, they were, th- were 3-0 up at half-time. Okay, yes, perhaps the perhaps at that point the physical preparation was overwhelming the players and they just couldn't hold their concentration. But they, they scored three past the league leaders by half-time. And, okay, there were drop points that are silly drop points along the way, but that's part of every team's season no matter how good a team you are so really I'd only say Sparta could be blown away once this season and that's fairly impressive when you consider the the, the challenges they've got because a lot of the teams are becoming more competitive Locomotive would not have been anywhere near the title race um, a season or two ago and now they're in the mix too so um, where will it end Manny you ask well at this point um, I'm going to wait for my definitive end of season prediction till the winter break mm. but um I have to be honest, I'd say they are my most likely challengers to Locomotive at the moment. And on paper, if the entire squad stays fit, they've got the better squad. So I don't think there's any reason why Tim cannot start being very, very optimistic at this point. Yeah, I think, I think you know, it's, it is still eight points to the top of the table. But um, I think the, the one thing that you point out, Tim, the fitness is going to be a big factor, especially in the second half of the season. And of course, they can work on it some more during that long winter break, right? The second half of the season is going to be a sprint with just 10 games left. And that means you have to be really fit to get through those 10 games and you can't really afford to drop any any points in that second half of the season. I mean, we often have we said on a, this podcast that it's really two seasons in the Russian football Premier League season, right? It's the, the long season before the break and then it's the sprint after the break. And you can easily see Lokomotiv drop points and Spartak just win all the remaining 10 games and win the title. I mean, that's, that's totally possible. And I think the one factor we need to talk about this is Sinit's implosion. Um, of course, the news that came out today was Igor Rabina, a journalist, a very well-respected journalist in, in Russia. Uh, stated that the players are unhappy with Mancini's diet plans. Uh, diet and fitness is, of course, uh, something, as you mentioned, Tim, the, a very important. And um, Igor Rabin has said that they have gone, that, what was it? They are unhappy with the diet plans issued by Roberto Mancini and have been caught at McDonald's eating Happy Meals. Now, what do you make of that story? I, to be quite honest, I don't 
think that's true. Uh, but what makes me happy that there's uh, some uh, potential conflicts in in the team. Uh, I don't, to be quite honest, like I, I see, like you know, we talked a little bit about this before the pod. You saying that they're the kids and they don't know better, so you can see them going to McDonald's. Um, I don't think they would go to McDonald's. And to, to be quite honest, sometimes Igor Rabinier he sometimes exaggerates the facts. So maybe there is uh, unhappiness with 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 um, with the food with the, the, the way they eat. But I don't think. Uh, as a team, they will collectively go to McDonald's and find some coupons to get a better deal on the Big Macs. But uh, but at the same time, you know, the similar story, actually, Glushakov shared the similar story because both coaches are Italian. And uh, Glushakov said when Carrera arrived and became the top coach, he excluded Borsch. Uh, the legendary Russian soup uh, from the from the menu, and after a few months, he realized that Russians can live without borscht. So he um, he made a substitution, like he he put the borscht back into the menu. So I see there's something similar might be happening in the team, but um, I was I totally agree with you because when Mancini was hired, um, he's de- definitely. Um, you know, especially for Russia, he is a well-experienced coach who won trophies in significant leagues. But we all know that in every team he worked with, he didn't have perfect relationships with, he, with the squad. He got the trophies, but it wasn't all rosy. He had issues with Balotelli. He had issues when he worked at, at Inter. So that was my hope. Having so many egos in Zenit squad, uh, and there's a lot of egos in, in that team, um, and uh, so that was my hope that something will go wrong. And in terms of pure playing, um, playing ability, Zenit is has pro- probably one of the two top uh, strongest squads right now, along with Spartak. But at the same time, knowing that. Uh, Seeing how Spartak has the sense of family versus knowing that Mancini has usually has players with uh, issues with players, that was my hope that something eventually will go wrong if the results are not going uh, in their way, and this is what's happening right now, which makes me happy. So, you know, if if there's some rumors, and it doesn't matter if they go to McDonald's, of it doesn't matter where they go to eat outside of, of, of their training camp. I'm just happy to hear that there are some issues between the coach and the players. And that just brings instability in, in terms of results, in terms of playing. So this news makes me happy. And um, I hope this will continue. <laughs> oh, we'll see. I, I had my doubts with Mancini. I, I think they, the yeah. chances that they did... They were quite strong, but I know as a personality, I, I could just see a clash sooner or later. And I mean, those stories, we get those stories. And um, maybe it was just one time that they went to McDonald's. But, you know, you, these stories usually gets, get put to journalists because players are unhappy. So they're willing to talk. So curious to see, curious to see how this develops. But boys, I want to I wanna kind of move it away from Sunid to Europe um, real quick, really. But we have two big games coming up next week and one of those games of course involves your side uh tim spartak you are going to be at anfield uh the cathedral of english football sorry andrew had to say it that way <laughs> uh big game really because spartak need to win this game pretty much right and they have to come out guns blazing to get the get the result in order to maybe uh achieve a miracle and uh, get second place. Uh, I'll put this question. I really want to make this quick. Um, first to you, maybe, Andrew. Do you think Spartak on current form have what it takes to get a result at Anfield? I really, really desperately want to say yes. Um, not just for my loyalties against Liverpool, sorry. Um, <laughs> but um, 
I mean, Spartak are on seriously good form at the moment. And the, the Luis Adriano's, um, Zé Luis and Quincy Promise are seriously potent attacking three. Liverpool have their problems in defence. The problem is that, you know, Liverpool's attack is formidable. So the problem will be keeping them out. I, oh, I, I'm on a knife edge. I genuinely am on a knife edge. And that's me without my bias. Can they do it? Yes, they can. Do I think they will? Grudgingly, I'm, I really want to say I think they can, Tim, but I think they might struggle to get the win um, just simply because Liverpool know that by getting a point, that's, that's what they need and they will be able to grind it out, I think. I don't think they will grind it out, but that's all they need. There's no pressure on them, whereas there's all the pressure on Spartak. Yeah, what do you think, Tim? Uh, I see it in two ways. I see, like, remember how we talked about Ukraine, Russian national team, that we uh, like to lose in glorious manner. And I think that what most likely will happen is that, uh, for example, Spartan goes uh, ahead, the one nothing, a two nothing, and then in glorious manner on the ninety seventh minute, we'll uh, we'll tie the game and we'll be out to Europa League. This is uh, just uh, my observation of Russian football or so former Soviet football. Uh, but uh, the other angle, a little bit more positive angle, the way I want the game to go because I see the current form we're on right now, and Spartak also known for coming up with some legendary results against uh, English teams. There was a victory against Liverpool and Aston Villa uh, when Fedor Cherenkov played. Those are victories in the history of the club, like, you know, like those Sevilla victory. Um, So we are capable of doing this again, especially against English clubs. So my hope is that we can produce one of those historic victories, but most likely we will uh, lose in a glorious manner and uh, uh, with the with the with the uh, with the with the top hat with the, with the proud in a proud way will go to Europa League, which I will be completely satisfied with. Yeah, maybe just to recap, Spartak a Spartak victory would see Spartak go through and um, likely see Liverpool go out because I assume Sevilla will do their homework and beat Maribor. Yeah, um, so I, I it will be a fascinating game to watch. What uh, do you think? It's it's a hard, I think that Spartak will come out guns blazing and they will go they will do their best to to get the result there in fantastic form and Liverpool's defense is wearing but Liverpool have a lot of quality you know there's no doubt about it I I could see it um I could see it being a high scoring draw in the end which of course would mean Liverpool would go through and unfortunately for Spartak but I think that's how it's going to play out but of course Spartak are on the only side, right? Uh, we also have uh, a second team uh, and CSKA Moscow also going to, to England uh, to the theatre of dreams. Andrew, there you go. <laughs> the real cathedral of English football. I just <laughs> yes, Thank you very much. Theatre yes, of correct. dreams. Um, <laughs> yeah. At Old Trafford, which is which is going to be a difficult game for CSKA. And of course, I was at the Manchester United Basel game on Wednesday and saw Basel uh, sneak a victory in, um, really surprisingly, which could mean this group could end with the top three teams on 12 points, which uh, after long calculation, Jose Mourinho grudgingly admitted at the press conference that could be enough. But he said that even a defeat would against CSKA might be enough for them to go through, which is is correct. Uh, it, it could because we don't know what Benfica will do with Basel, vice versa, right? Um, but Andrew, um, I'm gonna take this to you. CSKA against Manchester United. Um, do you see any way CSKA can get the result that they need in Manchester? 
in a word, no. Um, and that's not again. It's not my Manchester United bias coming out, but um, we know full well what's coming. Um, Jose Mourinho needs a point to be mathematically absolutely certain of topping the group. That's all he needs to do. Um, he's got all the players to do that. He also has all the players to to go and score five or six. I mean, there was four one in Moscow. The game I went to, and and United barely broke out of second gear. They really could have put about you know, six or seven more horse past them. Um, and at home they could. But, you know, what would be the point in, and this is, I'm putting myself in Mourinho's mind here, what would be the point in, in risking injury to other players when, like I mentioned earlier, the English winter calendar is the busiest period of the year. Um, you know, they're still even discussing having games on Christmas Eve, which would be a scandal in England. But, you know, who knows? It's a busy period coming up. The point is, all he needs is a point and he knows that Cesco will be chasing the game. He knows that there's a chance even that Pontus Vermeulen will continue up front. Um, so he knows roughly what to expect. He's, he's got all the experience to grind out a point, and that's all that it needs. If anything, actually, I think United might even nick it because there's so much pressure on Cesco. Um, if they have ambitions of, of going through to the knockout stage of the Champions League, they may just be content with Europa League, in which case it will be a fairly uninspiring game. But um, long story short, no, I don't think Cisco will be able to get the result they need for Champions League knockouts. But Europa League already secured. It, like Tim suggested with Sparta, it's no bad thing. They've got a better chance of going further in Europa League and um, still gaining some useful coefficient points for Russia. So I see United probably winning this with a narrow 1-0 win. And you have to probably add that actually both sides, Spartak and CSKA, had actually a pretty decent Champions League, like Champions League group stage. You know, CSKA are on nine points, Spartak are on six, I believe, right? And uh, both still have a chance of going through. We have seen much worse performances in recent years by Russia's Champions League sides. So this has actually been a pretty decent, decent run for them um, to, you know, get get where they are and Tim maybe the question to you CSKA are such a side and rebuild we have pointed out countless, countless times all the the issues that they had I saw Manchester United of course um, on Wednesday and I thought you know they should have utterly beaten Basel by in the first 45 minutes and really were reckless not getting the result nailed down early on could you see United do something like that at home at Old Trafford um, I agree with Andrew. Unfortunately, not. And I want Cesca to go through. Uh, but the key is that Jose Mourinho is playing. They playing against Jose Mourinho. That's that. That's the end of the conversation. He knows he has so much experience in those games, and players like Kuchayev, Golovin, Jamaladinov, they don't. That's just the end of the story. Yeah, yeah. I, I unfortunately, I agree with you. Now that puts that leaves us with one side that can still go through, and that's of course Shakhtar Donetsk and um, our Ukrainian friends. Um, they need a point in the final match, right, against uh, Man City to be very sure that they go through. Of course, Napoli need to do their homework against Feyenoord, but Feyenoord have been a disaster. Um, Tim, you had your doubts about about Shakhtar Donetsk going through, even though they had the perfect situation uh, to, to get the job done. Do you feel, yeah, 
that's it. You know, that, there's no way they're going to get it done. Or do you think maybe City just won't care on the final match day and will end in the draw that they need? Uh, it depends. I think it depends on the City approach uh, because obviously, you know, City has, um, they have Boxing Day coming up and they are already qualified. So they can do, they can allow to do themselves a little bit of rotation and they have big games in the league coming up. Um, I really want Shakhtar to go through, but it just, it's just hard. It's, it's, it's Manchester City who's playing arguably one of the best footballs right now in Europe. And even their B side is still a big ask for Shakhtar. I really want Shakhtar to go through because like obviously like I'm biased. I'm part of Football Grad uh, podcast. So mm-hmm. I want them to go. Um, at the same time I like Napoli plays beautiful football and uh, they should be in in playoffs. So it's 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 a question just for football two good sides. Um but I think what will happen if if Napoli wins and Shakhtar loses or and both teams will be on nine points. How would that work? No, Napoli won the head to head. So Napoli would so, go through. So see, like, um, yeah, it's 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 tough for Shakhtar. M- maybe, I like. I think it will be tough for them. Even as much as I want to, City still, knowing Guardiola, how obsessed he is with winning and like getting the results, it's a big ask. So you know, I've I've, I've seen like Shakhtar maybe having thirty to forty percent to go through, but I obviously will be supporting them, and I hope they will do the job. Yeah, hopefully, if they can get the point, that's good for them. But uh, who knows? That's that's the beauty of football. That's that's why we will be watching and glued to the screens on uh, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday. Yeah, also game will be in Kharkov in Eastern Ukraine. It will be really cold there. Um, That's another help, yeah. It, right. it will help them. Uh, of course, there were some issues with, with Shakhtar Donetsk this week uh, because they refused to wear uh, a pro-Ukrainian veteran shirt. Um, Shakhtar Donetsk have been very careful about not taking sides in this war for obvious reasons. Um, of course, they are in the situation where their home is controlled by the forces supported by the Russian separatists, right? So therefore, they can't really make too many obvious political statements either way and um they have been confronted by pro-ukrainian ultras on the street uh in kharkiv this weekend um we're told more or less that if they don't wear shirts or if they don't wear symbols supporting ukraine they will no longer be able to play uh, football in ukraine uh, by these ultras so Interesting. It will be interesting to see how that will affect them. Um, of course, this has been tough times for Shakhtar all along, but you know, it's, it's, it's a serious issue and I don't personally want to see that. I understand why Shakhtar Donetsk have been very careful about making political statements because it is their home and they have family and uh, relatives living still in the occupied area. So they can't really be too vocal about what's going on. Uh, so neutrality is maybe the best way for them forward. Uh, we'll see how that how that will pan out during the Champions League game. Now, with two small pieces of homework left, boys. One of them is Fedor Smolov. Andrew, you spoke to him. He won the prestigious Russian Football News Player of the Year award, I believe. You were able to hand that out to him. And yeah. uh, huge congrats to Fedor Smolov. I can't think of a better award that you want to earn as a player. <laughs> And I actually mean this really honestly. Uh, I think that he, if he doesn't have that framed somewhere in his trophy cabinet, I'd be utterly disappointed. Now there's been talk about him going to Europe. Is this just same procedure as every every transfer window, pretty much? Well, it, it is a very very familiar line. Um, 
But the thing I'd say is it is certainly backed up with substance. I mean, Smolov is undoubtedly the the star Russian player, um, if not the one of the most marketable players in the Russian Premier League. And I think a few clubs might be starting to realise that there's value to be had in the Russian League because, you know, we look at the values of, you know, let's be honest, relatively average players from medium to top level clubs nowadays, 20, 25 million is an absolute minimum. Well, I honestly don't think, um, I don't think Krasnodar would get much more than that um, for Smolov. I think they'd do very well to get much more than 20 million euros for him. Not because I don't think he's worth it relative to modern values. I think he is. I think he's just pure class. But um, is there substance in these rumours? Well, the teams mentioned, I found relatively, some relatively strange ones. I've heard, um, I've heard West Ham by a couple of red top papers. I'm not quite sure what you would call them in Germany, but the, the trash tabloid papers basically mentioning West Ham, which is, about the stupidest suggestion I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> West Ham are a car crash of a club at the moment. Um, anybody with half a brain cell could see that. David Moyes' manager has just got failure written all over him. Um, the only plus point is that they're based in London, but I think Smollett's beyond that at this stage of his life. If he was 22, 23, London may have swayed it for him, but he's 27. He, do, he can almost afford to not pick and choose any team, but what sort of move he makes. Because unless a good enough offer comes in, why why would he leave Russia? Um, I think he probably will, but I think it'll be in the summer. I definitely don't think it'll be in the winter break because why would he risk that when he's got a good thing going in the run-up to the World Cup? World Cup's the springboard, get a move to Europe. Um, Although I would say one thing, though, I think this is about his last really good chance of getting a good move to a top European club. So this summer, or not at all, I see it, really. Oh, Bayern are looking for a striker. Here we go. <laughs> Oli, Oli, get him. Yeah. He's available right now and he'll probably be happy uh, playing back up to Robert Lewandowski. Um, forget about Sandro Wagner. He's too expensive. You can get Pedro Smaller for half the price and he's uh, actually three years younger. So why not? But I don't think it's, I don't think Bayern are, are looking for that kind of forward, even though they maybe should. Um, boys, final topic before we, we're going to wrap it up. World Cup draw on Friday. Russia oh. is in pot one. Tim, I'll, I'll, bring the, I'll give this one to you. Uh, they're in pot one. They're the worst team ever. Um, the worst World Cup host ever when you take the FIFA uh, international standings into account. Who do you want Russia to get uh, in this group? Oh, man. Oh. I've been looking at those spots for a very long time, and there's very few teams who I want to get for Russia. Most of the teams I don't want to get. It's very tough. Uh, it's a very tough uh, pot, like those spots for us. Um, it's um, really, uh, like, if you're looking at pot two, only kind of Peru could be, a, 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 and Croatia could be a playable team, but still, uh it's a, any any team will be a tough ask for Russia. Um, I don't know. Even it, you know, you can take a group of death and and like an easy group. Group of death will be just like you know that it's so easy to come up with a group of death for Russia. And finding an easy group was uh, fairly challenging for me. Like I think it's uh, the draw will be 
challenging for us. Um, um, I'm, I'm very, you know, it's it's hard to say. At the same time, looking at the two friendlies we had, and Cherchesov, he had a big, big, big interview on the Match TV, and he talked a lot about it. He said, you know what? Actually, it's been easier for us to play against the stronger teams. Uh, we, we showed better. Like he says, I'm just evaluating the way the team played, we showed that we, we played better against the stronger team because they allowed us to play a little bit of football. So, I don't even know what could be a good or bad group for Russia. Let's wait for Friday, but um, I just hope we don't get like Spain or like teams like that from, from part two. Uh, so, at least we can play against every single team in, 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 in the Champions. But I'm stoked for Friday. I can't wait to wake up and find out the who we're playing in the World Cup. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, Andrew, real quick, two minutes. That's all we have left. Oh, Tell me, okay. who do you want for, for the group? <laughs> all right, if I'm going to cherry pick, I'm going to be slightly biased. I'm going to say England. And actually, certainly, <laughs> uh, partly for emotional reasons, but also because England are basically terrible at final tournaments. They crumble. Um, I genuinely think England's probably one of the better chances than pot two. Pot three, I would say possibly Iran. Or you know Tunisia possibly, and then maybe Australia or, or South Korea from the from the final one. Panama. Uh, oh, Panama! Sorry, of course, Panama. What am I talking about? Panama, Tunisia, and England. That's my first choice. Group for <sighs> Ooh. Ooh. Mano. Ah, uh, yeah. I'll just go the difficult route and say Spain. Why not Spain, right? And then uh, <laughs> from pot three. Uh, well, pot three. Sweden. Yeah, or Iceland, Sweden. Iceland, and then oh. then Australia. Oh, but guys, guess. remember, none, none of this matters because we're going to make the semi final anyway. Remember, <laughs> exactly. That's the plan. I, I thought Russia's plan was to win this tournament. Oh no, sorry, minimum semi final. That's what I meant. <laughs> there we go. Okay, I was worried here for a second. Now I, I think it's going to be interesting, but there's there's uh, there's still so much going to happen until ne- next ne- next uh, next summer, right? When the tournament actually kicks off, so the the World Cup draw and the group stage draw. I, from my experience, Germany had groups with you know Portugal and uh, Ghana and uh, Serbia and still got through. So I don't think it really matters that much. So, but we'll see. Of well, course, for Germany it doesn't. <laughs> no, for Germany maybe it's difficult. <laughs> uh, they 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 drive under pressure, anyways. But boys, we're out of time, and I guess next week we'll find out and we'll discuss the World Cup draw to great detail. I think that is really going to be the main topic. Um, but Andrew, until then, until the World Cup draw, what's going on in your life? Where can people find you? Uh, where, where do you want people? Where, where what do you want people to find? Uh, well, I'm on, on Twitter at Andrew M.I.J. Flint. I'll be doing some sort of coverage on my personal account or on various um, freelance jobs I've got for the World Cup draw itself. Um, and then, of course, I'll be doing uh, European previews for Russian clubs next week on Football Grad as well. So that's what I'm up to. Yeah, fantastic stuff. And Tim, how about you? Uh, people can follow me at RussianTin61 on Twitter and Rocket from Russia on Instagram. Excellent stuff. Yeah, and I have been your host, Manuel You can find me at Manuel on Twitter. And then, of course, this podcast, the other podcast, the articles, the previews, all this kind of stuff we can find at Football Grad Live. And people, if you like this podcast and you like any of the other shows that we do, uh, go on iTunes, give us a rating. It really helps us um, 
grow and makes it easier for people to find us. Well, happy World Cup Draw Day, everyone. Until <laughs> next way, dos vidanya. the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.